Welcome to another of the special Coot Street podcasts that Jonathan Strawn and I have been doing since March at this point. This is Gary Wolf, and today I am delighted to spend 10 minutes with Jack Skillingstead and Nancy Kress, who is the guest of honor at the next Worldcon that any of us will be able to actually go to. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And let's hope we can see each other in D.C. Let's hope we can get to D.C. Well, that's true. Jack, how are you doing these days? I'm doing well. I, I normally spend a lot of time cloistered in my room anyway, so I haven't noticed lockdown until pretty recently, and now it is kind of bothering me a little bit. I'd like to get out and see people and go yeah. to restaurants and stuff, but I don't think that's in the cards for several more months. Um, well, that's, that may be true. Nancy? bored i'm not too bored um both jack and i you know as with all writers are used to spending a lot of time with people who don't actually exist anyway and that just goes on and i always thought gary that i would make a really good prisoner because i don't need (laughs) a lot of either exercise or outside stimulation well i wouldn't go that far well you were free it was just a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> yeah, and I was I was going to make some joke about all at prison. Uh, is that how you pronounce it? Um, in your story, Nancy? Uh, all at yes, flowers oh. all at prison. That's first thing. Well, okay, so you've written a prison story. Um, that was a long time ago. It's a long time ago, but you know there are a lot of there are classic stories out there. I mean, out of all them bright stars is in textbooks now. Yes, I'm That's pleased right, about yeah. that. Yep. So. What have you guys been able to do in terms of your reading during this uh, lockdown? Because I've been talking to people who tend to go in one of two directions. Either they go back and read murder mysteries from their childhood or they decide, OK, this is this is the time to take on Proust or, or, or Gravity's Rainbow or something. I'm not doing either of those things. Ah. I'm reading. We belong to a science book club mm-hmm. and every three months after contentious arguing over what book we should to tackle next, but they're all science books. Uh-huh. This time we're reading Brian Greene's Until the End of Time. Mm-hmm. And it's very dense. And if you don't have a lot of physics and chemistry, which I don't, it's uh-huh. also very slow going. Um, I I enjoyed his previous two, The Elegant Universe and The Fabric of the Cosmos. And they also were dense and difficult. So when I read that for a while <clears throat> and I feel I need something lighter, I turned to a biography of Zelda Fitzgerald, <laughs> which oh. said she was crazy. That's also dense in a way, too. But people belonged to either Team Zelda or Team Scott. And yeah. this is one of the few biographies that seems to be, it's by Nancy Mitford, mm-hmm. that seems to be trying to balance it out so that they both come out sounding crazy and horrible instead of just one of them. Yeah, I did. I did take down Gravity's Rainbow, but I got about as far as I usually get, which is a screaming came across the sky. <laughs> and I had to get up and have some more coffee, although I do like that line. It's a um, great line. Yeah. Mostly I've been reading biographies and nonfiction, but a couple of weeks ago I started in on reading like collected and complete short stories of some past masters that I've had on my shelves for a long time and never got around to. So uh-huh. I'm reading I'm reading all the complete stories of Robert Block, uh, Philip Dick, and I have that Nemo Press, I can't remember who did it, the the really nice um, Roger Zelazny complete stories. So uh-huh. I need to get through all of that this summer. And um, I'm, I'm also reading the Bob Green 
science book for our science club. It would be interesting to see what your take is on uh, Zelazny stories in particular, because uh, there's this series I'm editing for the Univers- University of Illinois Press. We have a book coming out on Zelazny, so I was looking at oh. them too. And well, I've read many of them, uh, certainly all the classic uh, mm-hmm. novellas. But this this collects virtually everything that he's that he ever published. Yeah, that was. I've dipped into it before. Some of it's a little bit hit and miss. If you just read the great Zelazny stuff, you think everything he wrote was great. But right. I'm finding out, like with Theodore Sturgeon, not everything was great. Well, that's true of all of us. It's true of all of us, yeah. But it's fascinating to read this stuff because you can see the the arc of a career and and how. Um, how these writers developed. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. And, and sometimes I've, I've got like most of that 10 volumes of Sturgeon stories, which I think they made a mistake by doing them in, in chronological order, because the first two volumes are things that really aren't very good. Right. There are the, the little newspaper. Right. Stories and stuff. It was interesting. I read all of those as they came out. And I, I agree. I mean, there'd be, a kind of a vast wasteland for a couple of volumes. And then, then something a little bit familiar would pop in uh-huh. and it would be an oasis. But eventually you got into the 1950s where you had that great run. So. Even Ursula Gwynn, whom I think walks on water, mm-hmm. um, the first couple novels, the Rokanon novels, right. are okay, but they're nothing special until she finally found her subject matter and her voice. That's true. and But, but interestingly enough, once should sort of created the rest of the Hainish universe, they fit into it okay. They do. They do. So, the, But um, do either of you have, uh, like, comfort food reading that you just go back to in times of stress? Jane Austen. Jane Austen, I, yay. I read all six novels every couple years, even though I can practically recite them. And they mm-hmm. are comfort food, partly because I can practically recite them. And partly because... It's such an orderly world. Jack was saying the other day that one reason we both liked Star Trek when we were young is that it was an orderly world. Everybody aboard the Enterprise was the good guys, and you knew where you mm-hmm. fit, what you were supposed to be doing. And the same thing is true of Jane Austen in a bizarre way. Yeah, I've never, I've never heard Jane Austen compared to Star Trek. <laughs> I, I, or like we like to refer to her as Yeoman Austen. Of course, yeah. <laughs> does, your, does your reading include Sanditon? I read it and I was very disappointed. Yeah. Uh, you know, she revised all her books heavily and she didn't have a chance to revise the fragment of that. And I read two different people's versions of trying to finish it. And not only did I not like the fragment that she didn't get a chance to revise, I really didn't like the way they finished it either. Right. Jack, what about you? What, what, what do you fall back on? Um, my usual comfort reading is sort of weird. It, it, it's usually nonfiction about uh, writers like Philip Dick or uh, Charles Bukowski. Uh-huh. I don't know why I find their lives so fascinating, and, and maybe comfort is the wrong word, but um, I really key to those personalities on the page. And um, I'm, I always pick them up when I, when I don't have anything else or I just want to kind of move into familiar territory. I enter those worlds. Well, I wonder if, uh, if you mentioned Dick and Bukowski, and there are other writers that I've kind of been fascinated by. There's a guy named Charles Williford, who I thought was a terrific writer. And they all seem to have 
lives that are worse than mine. Is that part of the attraction? <laughs> it, yeah, it could be. I mean, <laughs> they definitely had lives worse than mine. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, but the other factor is they were also really good yeah. in their own ways and um, idiosyncratic. And I'm, I'm familiar with the the outlines of their lives because I've read their biographies before and stuff. Yeah. There's just there's something interesting about it, and, and with Dick especially, um, that because he started out in the 1950s, and you could I can relate to his selling short magazine fiction, and mm-hmm. I like I like the arc of his career too, and his his obsessions and stuff. It, it's really fascinating to me. Um, Beyond that, lately I've been reading uh, like Hollywood biographies and stuff like that, like at bedtime when I'm trying to fall asleep with my Kindle, um, because it's really no sweat. Any particular Hollywood biographies? I read a bunch of, uh, I got interested in Kirk Douglas for some reason, so Uh I read a bunch of the books he wrote, not actually biographies about him, and they were very easy to digest and fascinating because he's talking about Hollywood and everything, but he was also talking about um, being an older person and then a really old person. And he was still writing these books in his nineties. Right. There was one, I, I did look at part of one it was called the, the trash man, the sun or the ash something. Yeah. That was the first book he did. It was a, that was his autobiography. Okay. The, so that was the his... Ragman's 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 son. son. Right. There's a terrific biography of Barbara Streisand speaking of Hollywood biographies. I don't know who the author is, but the title is hello gorgeous. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun to read. <laughs> yeah. Those books are fun. Well, they require it, almost nothing. The movie industry interests both Jack and I, not because we ever want to work in it, but because we like the the books about how the movies are made after the movie is already made. Right. And we like the videos about that, too. Yeah. What was the series we were watching where they were talking about making um, uh, Star Wars and some of the other science fiction ones? I don't remember. We did watch one long documentary, long-ish YouTube documentary about... Um, Star Wars being really accomplished in the editing rather than what Lucas mm-hmm. shot and originally put together himself. And that was that was fascinating in terms of how to tell a story. Yeah, there was an excellent book that came out last year, about 2001. Um, I, I can't remember the author of it, but uh, somebody at the Adler Planetarium told me I should read it. And then we did a seminar on it. But it was partly about how you got such a gorgeous looking film without any modern cgi at all do you remember uh, the title gary i'm trying to remember it it's not the making it's not the making of 2001 uh, but it's something like that i'd like to read that maybe if you can find out the title you can drop me an email okay i will try to do that i'm actually trying to do it as we're uh talking uh and but this is what happens when i type on my phone it, I'm trying to type the making of, and it, it thinks I'm trying to say something about the Mekong Delta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, there's a fascinating I, a fascination I've always had with Hollywood autobiographies, especially because I used to know a mystery writer named Stuart Kaminsky, who uh, started out as a Hollywood um, historian. As a matter of fact, he wrote the first biography of, um, of, of Clint Eastwood, I think. Hmm. And... He read an autobiography by Errol Flynn called My Wicked, Wicked Ways, which is probably long out of print. But he realized, since this guy was a film historian, uh, that 
that basically Errol Flynn was writing a novel about his life that had almost no connection to reality, <laughs> other than the fact that Flynn was in the places he claimed to be, but he was never doing what he was claimed to be doing. Um, so um, Kaminsky had this idea that if Flynn can write a novel about his life with real people in it, he could write a series of mystery novels, which he did. He wrote a series of wonderful Hollywood mysteries. Um, Murder on the Yellow Brick Road, I think, was one of them. Oh, I and the Mark, that. Yeah, the, uh, the Marx Brothers were in one of them. Einstein, Paul Robeson, all these uh, Bogart. And they were all researched in such a way that the people who he writes about, he could demonstrate were in these places at this time. And everything else was fiction. That sounds fun. It does. It, it, it's, it, was, it was a lot of fun for him to do. His argument was, you can't prove that these people weren't there, and therefore you can't prove that my novel is impossible. That made me think of a, another aspect of Hollywood movie stars and such that appeals to me. It's the way they invent themselves, because very few, if any of them, um, they're their childhood and stuff doesn't point in that direction. Like they, they consciously remake themselves to be this. Right. Image. Um, the people or the studio used to remake them to be that image. Right. I mean, somebody like uh, a current favorite of everyone, John Wayne, not mine. <laughs> he, he cultivated well. that image and um, was, as I understand, at least from a little bit of reading, um, was pretty different from the character that he invented for he and John. Right. Ford, I'm sure that's true for himself. Yeah. But I, writers, some writers do that too. They'll, they'll create uh, an image of themselves that departs a little bit from reality. Well, I suppose Hemingway is probably guilty. I suppose Fitzgerald is too. Oh yeah. He went in with an image of himself and he just spent a lot of time trying yeah. to wrench around reality to fit that image, no matter what. Right. Well, do you think Zelda was as guilty of that as he was? Oh, yeah. They were a pair. <laughs> but he was an alcoholic. And like all alcoholics I've ever known, he ended up blaming his wife for it. And um, I drink because of Zelda was one of his major mantras to justify it later on. And that we know now that doesn't really fly. But that was his that was his reasoning. I think it's because the spouse is conveniently present. If there yeah. wasn't. Well, she'd be drinking because I don't have anyone or I'm lonely or I'm drinking because of the dog or something. I'm drinking because it's Thursday. Right. Because yeah, any, anything to right. deflect from, you know, just I'm drinking. Well, it was, it was also a convention among writers for the last, what, 300 years to blame their drinking on women. Right. Well, who do the women writers get to blame it on? Other women, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't so. seem fair, no. I did look up the title. The, the book you want to look is by Michael Benson, and it's called, original title, Space Odyssey. Stanley Kubrick, Arthur C. Clarke, and the Making of a Masterpiece. Well, okay, cool. Michael who? Michael Benson, B-E-N-S-O-N. I'm writing it down. Along with Murder on the Yellow Brick Road. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we've, we've gone over our ten minutes. I knew we'd do that, but it's too much fun. Um so don't, me, I get to, don't I get to quickly plug the two books I just had come oh, out? Yes, I'm sorry. You have to, <laughs> the, the third thing we have to talk about is what you have forthcoming. <clears throat> yeah, they're not forthcoming. They're come. Okay. Uh, in in uh, May, I had a tachyon, a novella from Tachyon, a standalone novella from Tachyon called um, Sea Change uh -huh. that is about ocean blobs, 
genetically engineered crops and being married to a movie star. Oh, good. And, and a natural <laughs> mix. I'm sure yeah. you'll agree, a natural mix of elements. Oh, yeah. And also from Bain, I had a novel, a space opera novel, called um, The 11th Gate. So those are the two things I have out. Okay, Jack, what you got? Um, the trade edition of my uh, novel, The Chaos Function, that came out in hardcover last year from uh, John Adams, uh, Houghton ah. Mifflin was just published in March. And um, beyond that, I've been writing a new novel for the last 18 months or so. I'm into the third draft and taking a break to go back to short stories and kind of clear my head. So that's been fun. Sounds like fun. Well, I want to thank both of you for being with us. This has again been 10 minutes with Nancy Kress <laughs> and Jack Skillingstead. And thanks again for joining us. Thank you thank for you. having us, Gary.